How is everybody? I had someone this week tell us we have a very unique way of presenting the gospel. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes we do. We make our own video games to do so, you know, like that's, uh, that's what we do. Okay, so we've been in the book of James um, for quite a while now. If it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, we hope you feel comfortable, hope you feel um, invited and, and that people are, are, are treating you well as you're here. If you're in here and you're not a believer, uh, we're exceptionally glad that, we're, that you're here. And uh, we hope that something today uh, sparks an interest in you and then... Um, and it kind of leads you to want to come back and explore a little bit more. And the book of James is a good book to kind of do that. Now, if you don't know what we do here, here's what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. We go through every line. We go through every verse, every chapter. And we just kind of break it down and expand on it a little bit, okay? And so if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're in chapter 3 of James. If you have a Bible, this is in the New Testament. This is towards the back of your Bible. It's after the book of Hebrews, I believe, right? And so if you go back to the back... We've already done chapters one and two. We're getting into chapter three today. You should have a notes handout in front of you. So everything I'm going to say is going to be on that notes handout. If you have a smartphone, the Uversion app, if you click on the bottom right, it says more and then events. All the notes and scripture are on there. But let me catch you up to speed a little bit. Okay, so chapter one, as we got into James, chapter one is about our identity. Essentially this, if we're going to get into the book of James, if you're going to get into any of the Bible, right, we have to know where our identity lies. And if we claim to be Christians, there's a certain standard, a certain way that we are called to live. And that's essentially what James is about, Christian living, how we practically live out our faith, okay? Chapter 2 gets into kind of a controversial thing. We actually talked about last week that some people didn't even believe the book of James should be in the Bible because James makes the statement that faith without works is dead, okay? Which, of course, this is a part of the Bible, and it should be a part of the Bible because what we learn in James 2 is that if we are not practically showing our faith, right, not just to other people, practically showing how we treat other people and communicate with other, other people, but how we treat God, right, if we're not reading the word, if we're not praying, if we're not in Christian community, right? That there's not proper evidence of us being a Christian. Okay, chapter three, that's what we're gonna talk about today. So far, I think this has been my favorite chapter to dive into. And I think because it hits on two things that I have personally struggled with, and that I think most of you in this room, if you're being honest, have struggled with this. These two different topics we're gonna talk about today. One is this that only by the power of God can we have control of our tongue. And so we need to pray that God controls our tongue, how we talk, our speech, how we communicate with others, how we communicate with him. We need help with that, okay? That's the first one, controlling our tongue. Already some of us are sweating, right? <laughs> the second thing that today talks about is wisdom and that we need to ask God to give us wisdom. So we need to be wise and we need to let God control our tongue. That's going to be kind of the, the thesis of today, if you will. Not overtly complicated, not hard to understand, but sometimes uh, maybe difficult to put into practice, okay? So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Hey, glad you guys are here. I, I, um, I was asked, uh, and I'll put it online if it's, if it's good. Uh, uh, I was asked to do a podcast last Friday, and I was super nervous, and I was driving to Franklin um, to do this podcast thing, which I'm not like a big podcaster, but, you know, and, and, and it was just, it was a neat experience, but I was just thinking on the way up there, uh, and when I got there, the organization that asked me to do the podcast, they had done all this research, so they knew everything about me when I walked in, which was just kind of creepy and weird, right? But uh, 
telling me, the lady walking me back to the, the booth where they do it, and she's like, man, your church is so neat, and you guys do this and this, and kind of hit me as like, sometimes you forget how, how great this is. Like, we really have a really neat thing going on here. And I was like, yeah, we do have a cool church, don't we? You know what I mean? Like, this is a really great group, you know? Like, and uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's, you're the ones that did that, not me. I mean, you're, you're the one that make up this church, right? So uh, yeah, you just said you're, you're, you're cool. But, um, but we are blessed. Uh, we have a really, really neat environment here. And I just thank you. I, I hope you guys have fun here and hope we can laugh and, and I hope we can have a good time and I hope we can be honest with each other. And it really is a great group. So glad you're here. So thank you for letting me do this. Thank you for listening. And, and, um, and uh, let's pray and we'll see what, see what God does today, okay? Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I'm so humbled to, to be where I am right now and to look out over all these people who I, I, I dearly love, God, dearly love. I pray that you bless us today. God, open up our eyes and our ears and our understanding. And Lord, let your word just get real deep in our heart, God, and change us and change the way we talk. And Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom. We pray, God, that you bless every single church in our community. Bless the great nonprofits in our community. God, help us, Lord, to just be the best we can be so your kingdom can, can advance, God. It's not about us. It's about you. And we just pray that you are first and foremost, God. We love you. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get to it. Chapter three, which is right after chapter two. Here we go. <laughs> Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is able to control his whole body. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it boasts great things. Consider how a large forest, a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. That's your tongue, right? So let's get into that a little bit. So the first thing James says in chapter 3 is this. He says, listen, if you've considered being a leader and if you've considered being a teacher, make sure you think about it long and hard. Because James warns that whenever we step up and we become leaders, whenever we step up and become teachers or educators or business owners or entrepreneurs or whatever the case may be, right? Whenever we step up and lead, God has a stricter judgment on us, a stricter accountability, and also people will have a stricter accountability on us. Now, leading is kind of a double-edged sword. Is there prominence to leadership? Yes. More people know who you are. You may become more affluent, more influential, right? There's a lot of good things that come sometimes with leadership. But again, there is the other side of that, that people and God himself will look at you, look at you in a much stricter manner. So before assuming leadership, James would say, pray about that. Think about that. Know what leadership is going to cost you if you become a teacher and a leader, okay? That's how James opens this up. And he says, if you want to become a leader, one of the big qualifications of becoming a leader is you must control your tongue. 
If you cannot control your tongue, you're not fit to lead. We show imperfection. We show sinfulness through our tongue. Here's a big one. Because in other words, our tongue exposes our heart. What comes out of this ultimately came from right here. And so when ugly things come out, that means that ugly things are within. So all Christians, here, here's where the ball drops on all of us. Some of you are like, Ooh, I'm not called to be a teacher or leader. I get out of this. No, you don't. If you are a Christian in here, every single Christian is called to lead others to Christ. So in a sense, all of you are leaders. And if we're to lead people to Jesus, we are incapable of leading people to Jesus if we don't get control of our tongues, if we don't get control of our mouths. And the only way to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So a controlled tongue shows that we have become mature. When we can be wise, when we can be kind, when we can be truthful with our words, it shows that we have control over our personality. Now look at this. Notice I didn't say nice. Having control of your tongue doesn't mean that we're nice all the time. We are kind all the time. But it's not always doing people good when we are nice about everything. Sometimes we need to tell people hard truths. Sometimes we need to discipline people. Sometimes we need to tell them you need to change or you are living in a sinful manner right now. And that's not always the nice thing to do, but ultimately it is the kind thing because it makes them better. So a person who controls the tongue keeps their entire person in check. Now again, that doesn't mean that we're always silent. That doesn't mean that. What it means is this is that we depend on the Holy Spirit to give us the proper words so whatever comes out of our mouth honors God. And sometimes that's difficult things. Sometimes it are things that will, that will hurt people's feelings. But if we're doing it because the Holy Spirit is instructing us to do so, ultimately it's for the good, right? Ultimately, it's going to honor God, all right? So I love James. As I was going to Franklin the other day, I, I, I was listening to, to different stuff and, and uh, different podcasts because you know, I'm going to a podcast. I should probably listen to the podcast that I'm going to be on. So, right. But I started thinking um, because someone said something about James and I'm like, I really identify with James. I just like the way he teaches. I like how straightforward he is. And in James chapter three, to show the magnitude and the power of the tongue, this is what he says. He says, a small bit in the mouth of a horse controls this large animal, right? So we have a human that's not near as big as a horse, but can control this big old animal because of this little instrument that you put in their mouth, right? A bit. Let me pause here for a second. This is a very, very important detour that I want to take for a moment. So for years, I've had this theory, right? We keep making these Planet of the Apes movies. And if you think, hey, oh yeah, hang with me here. If you think for a second about a kind of animal that humanity has, has really oppressed, I always thought it would be horses. So if any animal was going to have like an uprising and take over civilization, I would think there'd be a Planet of the Horses movie, which makes a lot more sense to me. That's it. Think about it. Hey, that's going to hit you on your way home and you're going to be like, that's really brilliant. You know, like... <laughs> so... <laughs> So a small bit controls a large horse, right? And they're angry about that. A small rudder controls a huge ship. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, right? 
thousands of people on this huge boat that weighs God knows how many tons, right? And it is a small rudder that controls this big vessel, right? Also, how a small flame can set an entire forest on fire. All of these examples are James' very simple way of saying, your words are a big deal. How you use your tongue is a big deal. And here's the consequences of an uncontrolled tongue. Look at this. Verse six says that if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to get a hold of our tongue, that three things are gonna happen. The first one is this. It pollutes us and makes us miserable people. We're gonna be more unhappy personally if we don't get control of our tongue. We're gonna burn bridges. We're not gonna have a whole lot of friends. We're gonna be miserable people to be around. You guys know that person that just won't shut up and they're arrogant and they're cocky and you're like, I don't wanna be around this person. They're a miserable person to be around. So if we don't get control of the tongue, we're not going to be very happy. To expand on that, right, it says that an uncontrolled tongue sets the course of life on fire, which means your life is going to be difficult if you can't get control of your tongue. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose friendships. You're going to lose employment uh, opportunities. You're going to lose possibly even marriages, big things, destructive things are going to happen, and your life just isn't going to be as good. You're going to be a miserable person to be around, and you're not going to be happy. And the third thing, the, the uncontrolled tongue, James says, is from the devil and will eventually lead us to the devil permanently if we don't get control of it. So the Holy Spirit has to get control of our heart to have control of our mouth. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't have control of our heart, someone else does, and it is the devil. And I know that sounds overtly charismatic. Here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that no gossipers, liars, people who degrade people and talk bad, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we need to be careful about where our, our words could possibly lead us. Okay, next part. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. So here's what James says. Again, another great analogy and example that he uses. He says we've put animals into zoos, right? We've put elephants and tigers and lions and bears and all these things into zoos. We've tamed them to a degree, but we have not mastered our mouths. James calls our tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison. The psalmist, if you go back to the book of Psalms towards the end, the, the psalmist mentions that whole wars would start over words. You guys have seen this, all of you in this room if you've lived long enough. Marriages, friendships, people's perspective of the church, people's perspective of God is destroyed because of words because of what people have said to them or about them or about the church or about God or gossiping and lying and backbiting and slander, that these things have greatly broken down relationships. 
So we see, and all of you have experienced, that the tongue can be destructive, but the tongue can also be used to build people up. So though it can do extreme damage, if the tongue is directed by God, according to Ephesians 4.29, we can build people up. We can give people grace. How many people in this room have read the five love language books? You can raise your hand. Okay, quite a few of you. How many men have read it? Not a whole lot, right? You should. Your wives will appreciate you. So, most men in this room, and if you haven't read the book, you're not going to know what I'm talking about, but trust me. Most men in this room, of the five love languages, you are words of affirmation people. It's what I am too. What that means is this. How people talk to us, especially our partner, means a lot to us right? That's why the Bible even says in Ephesians 5 for women to respect their husbands, because God knows that men need verbal affirmation. Now, that doesn't just go for men. All of us in this room can benefit greatly and be lifted up by encouragement. Not just encouragement. All of us in this room could benefit and would grow if people would approach us with good intention. I should have made that like neon green, right? Good intentioned criticism. Criticism for the sake of criticizing is not uplifting. But if I go to you and I love you and I care about you and I want the best life for you and I go to you and I'm like, hey man, like I love you, but dude, you gotta change this. But th this is a part about you that is not healthy. That is a good intention criticism and we can be built up and we can be sharpened and we can become better people if people give us that kind of good intentioned criticism. So here's what James says, right? So not only with our tongue can we build other people up, with our tongue we do the greatest thing that humans can possibly do. The greatest, highest function is, of human speech is to lift up God with our tongues. Get this, the universe was created because God spoke. In the book of Revelation, all of evil will be wiped out because of Jesus's words. There is something immensely powerful in us praising God verbally. That's why singing is important, right? That's why when you pray, I encourage you to find a place to where you can pray out loud. You don't have to like scream and yell, but to where you can hear your own words, right? So you can lift up God with your tongue, with your mouth. So if this is the greatest thing that humans can do, right? Praise God with our mouths. How contradictory is it that with our mouths we will praise God and then with other people we will gossip and lie about them and slander and insult them and condescend them and curse them. When we do that, we are sinfully inconsistent with our faith. So when we come in here on the weekends and praise God with our mouth and then we go to work on Monday and talk to people like they're dogs, that is a sin. That is wrong, and we need to ask God to forgive us, and we need to ask the person that we talk to like that or talk about, we need those people to forgive us as well. Here's what John says. John kind of hits a home run with this one, right? He says, if anyone says, I love God, but I hate my brother, they're a liar. So the person who does not love his brother who he can see cannot possibly love a God that they can't see. There is a command given from God that says those who love God must also love their brother or sister. So if we say, I love God, I just don't like people, then you don't love God. How offensive is that? 
God, I love you, but this thing that's made in your image, I don't really care for very much. That's not a good thing. We don't love God to the level we should if we don't love people. So listen, this is all about how we talk to people, right? Our words. This also applies to the printed or typed things we do, right? The creation of social media. We have given such an out for cowards through social media. It's unbelievable. The creation of social media has opened up just a plethora of ways to defame, to criticize, to gossip, and basically destroy with words people we don't like. And guys, I hate to break it to you, this is also a sin. This is wrong. Just because it was sent via text or email and not face-to-face does not make it any less wrong, right? Now, does this mean if you leave a bad Yelp review, you're going to go to hell forever? No, that's not what that means, right? Sometimes we need to leave bad reviews. Sometimes business owners need to know if a mistake has been made, right? Just because you left a, you know, not good Yelp review doesn't mean that God hates you. What it means is this, is that even when it comes to social media, even when it comes to texting, even when it comes to email, we are to act like Jesus Christ. And we are to respond and say things in a positive, uplifting manner. Listen, let's just, let's just talk like adults. If you have that much of an issue with someone, you need to look them in the eyeballs like an adult and have a conversation about the offense or the conflict that you have. Everyone got that, right? Email and text is not the way to resolve conflict. I just want everyone to be aware of this, right? Face-to-face or at the very least on the telephone. You guys know your phones still do that, right? Okay, just, just one. So here's the thing. <laughs> I remember when texting started, right, however long ago that was, and I told my wife, I'm like, this isn't going to catch on, right? No one wants to do this. Here we are. We don't talk anymore, right? Even when we're right next to each other. So here's, what, here, here's the funny thing about us. We can only produce what we already are. James says natural springs, fig trees, grapevines, they show us that grapevines can only produce grapes. Fig trees can only produce figs. We can only produce what is inside of us. So if Jesus is in us, we're going to produce Christ-like things, right? Well, of course, if Jesus is not in us, we're going to produce things that are not very Christ-like. Now, listen, we're all going to make mistakes, guys. I've had to buy many a gift card for people I've been rude to, right? And go back to them and say, I am so sorry. I pastor a church. I probably shouldn't, but here's my, you know, here's a, here's a gift card, right? I love you. Like, forgive me, right? I've had to do this many times. When we make mistakes, here's how we handle this. Very simple. We ask the Lord to forgive us. God, forgive me for how I handled that situation. We need to ask the person we've offended to forgive us. We need to take steps to not do that anymore. And we need to know what our triggers are and be on guard that we don't do this again. Okay? Very simple ways to deal with that. All right? You guys still with me? Okay, last part. We're almost done. (laughs) Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, 
compliant, full of mercy and good works without favoritism and hypocrisy. Look at this last line. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. I love that. I'm going to get back to that here in a second. Okay, so if we're to have self-control with our tongue, self-control comes from wisdom. Now, wisdom refers to the moral insight and the skill to know how to conduct yourself. Listen, this is very important. The only way to gain wisdom is it is a gift from God. In fact, it is the only gift of the Spirit, to my knowledge, unless I've misread something, the only gift of the Spirit that God says, every time you ask for it, I'm going to give it to you. So wisdom comes from God. We ask God for wisdom, He gives us wisdom. Understanding refers to our knowledge of how we are called to live. Understanding comes from the Word of God. Wisdom comes from prayer and asking God. It's a gift. Understanding comes from reading the Bible. Now, praying for wisdom is relevant to all of you. Every single person in this room, you should pray for God to make you wise because God says He will make you wise. He will give you wisdom in abundance. And the presence of wisdom is displayed by our actions and by the good things we do for other people. Now, Self-control comes from wisdom. Wisdom only comes when we are humble. We must be submissive to God. We must be submissive to godly authority. We must be opposed to arrogance. We must not be self-serving, and we must be willing to learn. Now listen, humble people are not doormats, and humility is not self-deprecation. It's not thinking you're awful. That's not true humility. True humility is one who knows their strengths, knows their weaknesses, has a realistic view of themselves. They are people that have learned to control the natural desire to put themselves first, to be combative, and to be arrogant. This is what true humility is. It is wisdom and control over the natural desire to put yourself first, to be combative, and to be arrogant. So Jesus has a very different approach to humility than the world has. The world today, right, thinks of humility and meekness much like the ancient Greeks did. If you go back and study Greek history, the Greeks looked at humility and meekness as a vice, as a weakness, as a bad thing. But Christianity views it as a virtue, that humility and meekness are to be sought after by God, and that when we have disagreements with people, the word to be gentle, the word to be kind. Listen, when it comes to politics, religion, controversial things, liberalism and conservatism and all these different things that we argue and fight about, Christians are to be the gentle antithesis to the arrogant and brutal culture around us. Do we have to agree with everyone? No, but how we disagree needs to be in a loving, kind, patient humble manner, okay? So there is a false wisdom. There's two kinds of wisdom, godly wisdom and then earthly wisdom. And that earthly wisdom is called a false wisdom. That's what James calls it. Now, many people in this world, right, have the appearance of wisdom. They have the appearance of understanding, but in reality, they're selfish. They're looking out for themselves and they are envious. So envy What it is, is it promotes one's desires above everyone else's desires. What I want is more important than what you want. 
And selfish ambition promotes a cause in an unethical way. The cause may, be even, may even be a good cause. Let me give you an example. You guys remember when the Occupy Wall Street stuff was happening, right? I remember when there was an Occupy Murfreesboro for like two days. There was like two tents on City Hall, and I'm like, hey, I don't know what they're occupying, but right there they are. So um, anyways, I remember when the Occupy movement was going on. Now, here's the thing. There was an injustice, right? Corporate greed, like that shocks anyone, right? That there's people on Wall Street who are not good people. So anyways... There was this corporate greed. People were standing up to this corporate greed, and we should stand up to injustices at times. The problem wasn't the injustice. The problem was, was how they handled addressing the injustice. Just because there's an injustice doesn't mean you like camp out and defecate on the front porch of Merrill Lynch, right? That's not the Christ-like way to address an injustice. So sometimes it's not the injustice that's the problem. It's that we don't deal with that injustice in a Christ-like manner. Let me give you another example. Um, do you know why uh, Nashville has all the Greek architecture and Greek names and different Greek uh, attributes? I don't know if you guys know this. We have the Parthenon. We have the Titans. We have different stuff in, in Nashville. The reason why we have that is in the 1950s, Nashville was considered very racially progressive. And they would call Nashville in the South the Athens of the South, because we were known for our racial progression, right? We were kind of on the cutting edge of race relations. Now, in the 1950s, in Nashville, there were still a bunch of diners, not a bunch, but still several diners that would not let black people, African-Americans, come in and sit down and get lunch or breakfast. So what would happen is a bunch of Christian, mostly Christian men and women, both black and white, would get together, go into these diners, sit down, and very peacefully and Christ-like say, I want to order some eggs and toast, right? And then what would happen is people would kick them out. They'd drag them in the streets. They'd beat them, both colors, by the way, beat them, bloody them, shoot them with fire hoses, all these things, and they would go to jail. But they passively and Christ-like approached an injustice. And eventually that tide turned, didn't it? Especially because of a pastor named Martin Luther King Jr., right, who approached it in a very Christ-like manner. So there is a way for us to approach evil in a very Christ-like manner. Do you know what the Bible says? We don't return evil for evil. So if evil is going on, we don't throw a Molotov cocktail at evil, right? That's wrong, right? We approach them like Jesus would approach them. So here's the results of false wisdom. So when we do approach an injustice with false wisdom, right? I believe in humanity, burn, you know what I'm saying? When we approach it with that manner, with envy and selfish ambition, what happens? You guys know what happens. We have riots, we have chaos, we have confusion. We have the 1968 riots in Chicago. We have the LA riots in the 90s. We have the riots in Cincinnati just a couple of years ago. We have these awful things that happen. Chaos, confusion, evil, right? Because with false, false wisdom is derived from emotionalism. When emotions run high, people do things that aren't smart. And that is emotionalism and that's not from God. And to be blunt, guys, it is evil. It comes from a demonic source, according to James. So what false wisdom does is it destroys mutual concern. It destroys empathy, and it ultimately promotes you. It promotes just you, not the good cause. It doesn't fight the injustice. It's really all about you. That's what it does, okay? So true wisdom works. Godly wisdom is free of self-interest. It's free of strife. And James gives a list 
of kind of the fruit that should come out of having godly wisdom, that we are to be pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, that we show good deeds, that we're without favoritism and we're without hypocrisy. This is what should come out of us. And listen, look at how big of a phrase this is. We are called by God to be people, listen to this, who cultivate peace. That Christians are not only to love peace, but we are to create peaceful environments. And here's how we do that. Peace only comes, get this, from the Prince of Peace. So when we are conformed to God's will and we are conformed to God's way, when we act like Jesus, whoever is around us is going to feel more peaceful because we bring the Prince of Peace. So we prevent strife, we reconcile with others, we address offenses, we forgive people, and we take the high road, right? We take the high road. Okay, so let me wrap it up. The first is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ in here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ in here, we must pray with our mouths for the Holy Spirit to take control of our mouths. If you don't listen to anything I say today, if you have been just like on Facebook the whole time and you haven't heard anything I've said, chill for a second and hear this one thing. Know that your words are immensely impactful. Let me give you an example. There is a young lady who is going to federal prison for I think 15 months because she talked her boyfriend into killing himself. She didn't kill him with a knife. She didn't kill him with a gun. She killed him with her words. Get this, it wasn't even verbal words. Most of them were texting. Oh, it's just a text message. It's just an email. It was just an argument. Guys, we need to have a proper respect and fear and understanding of how big our words are. You need to know that your words can do tremendous damage to those around you if we are not careful. We need to ask God to control our hearts so we can control our tongues. So let me ask you, because I love you and I care about you and I'm not trying to like preach damnation to you today, but if the Bible says that gossipers, slanderers, backbiters, you know what the Bible equates them to? Haters of God. That's what the Bible equates them to in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. That if we do these things, Paul says, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, I want you to inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, you have to stop gossiping. You have to stop slandering, degrading, condescending, and cursing other people. Why? Because the Bible tells us over and over and over again, if you're doing these things, ask God to forgive you and ask the people that you've been offensive to to forgive you. Now, on the flip side of that, do you lift people up with your words? You should. You should. At work tomorrow, make it a point to find someone. Be like, hey, did you get your hair done? It looks fantastic. Hey, I noticed you do a great job here. I'm so glad you're on our team. Hey, you know, like, heard you're having a rough week. I'm praying for you. If you need anything, let me know. Encourage people. Speak life into people. Compliment them. Find some common ground, right? Have a conversation. Do you lift people up with your words? And I also want to encourage you. If you pray, pray with your mouth. Hear your words. There's just something biblically. All throughout the Bible, there's something about the spoken word. 
Don't just think about how much you love God. Tell Him. Use your words. It's the, it's the greatest thing that we can do as humans. It's the highest form of human speech is praising God. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you pray for godly wisdom? Again, this is one of the gifts of the Spirit that if you ask for it, God is always going to give it to you. He says, and He'll give it to you in abundance. When we pray for godly wisdom, we make selfless decisions. Godly wisdom leads us to be more peaceful people, more loving people, more empathetic people. So we receive wisdom, I said this earlier, from God, right, through prayer. And we receive understanding of how we are to live and react to the world around us. We get this from the Word. That means we must be praying, and it means we must be reading the Bible. We must be doing both things to have wisdom and understanding. We need both things, okay? So here's our simple test. Are we displaying purity? If we claim to be wise, we are going to be avoiding sinful behavior. And I don't mean this in any derogatory way. Guys, don't take it like this, please. But if you struggle with drinking, are you avoiding bars? If you struggle with lust, are you being careful with the computer? If you struggle with infidelity, are you creating boundaries with that female coworker or that male coworker, right? If you struggle with listening to things that are improper, are you turning the radio off? Are we taking steps to avoid falling into the pit of sin? Are we working to remain pure? If people are gossiping at the water cooler, right? Don't go to the water cooler. Bring a bottle of water. Go somewhere else. Avoid those conversations, right? Avoid that sinful behavior. Let me ask this. Are we displaying peace? I said biblical conflict resolution. Do you want me to teach you biblical conflict resolution real quick? It's real easy. This is what Jesus said. If someone offends you, this is what you're called to do. This is what Jesus says. If someone offends you, my buddy Jeff, who's on the front row, if we get in an argument, which you won't because he's just a peace-loving hippie, but if you get in an argument with Jeff, you're really mean, by the way. <laughs> so if Jeff and I get in an argument, right, God says, I go to Jeff, and I was like, hey, man, you really offended me. Let's talk about it, Right? And now if that doesn't work, if Jeff and I's argument doesn't get resolved one-on-one, -on -one, I'm called to bring someone else. Let's say I bring Amanda, right? She's sitting next to him. Amanda comes with me. We both talk to Jeff, and it still doesn't get resolved. I go and I get a third person, and then we go to Jeff, and if it still doesn't get resolved the third time, then we get the church involved. That is Jesus' model for, con for conflict resolution. Do you know what would happen if we all followed Jesus' model of conflict resolution? you would have a lot more friends and I would have a lot more time, right? <laughs> because you guys would fix most of your issues before you even get to me, right? <laughs> so if we all followed this model, think about the relationship changes that we would have around us. Do we display gentleness? Do we truly care for others? Do you truly care for others? that if that person in the cubicle next to you is going through a divorce, that you genuinely care. That you go over and you're just like, hey, I know you're going through a rough spot. I don't want to get in your business, but if you need anything, let me know, right? And you genuinely care that if someone's going through a financial issue, hey, I got 20 bucks. It ain't much, but fill up your gas tank with this. You know, I can live without this 20 bucks. Here, you take that, right? Genuinely caring, genuinely loving other people. Here's the hard one for me, guys. Compliance. 
I am a natural rule breaker. That's what I do, right? I bend rules, I don't obey rules. It's a problem and one that I'm working on, right? My, my eight-year-old sells me out all the time. Mom, dad let me sit in the front seat. And I'm like, I know it's wrong, you know? Like, we were just going to Sonic, you know? And, and so I bend rules and, and don't obey things the way I should. And that's a problem. But here's the thing. If there are laws or if we work in a place that they have hired us to do a certain amount of things and we are paid for that, Guys, do you know ultimately you don't work for your boss? Did you know that? The Bible says ultimately you work unto the Lord. So if you have someone that is asking you to do things or you are paid or you have agreed to do a specific thing, right? It is wrong of us not to be compliant. It is wrong of us because God sees that. Even if we don't get fired, even if anyone, if no one ever finds out about it, we are called to work unto the Lord, and we are called to do the best we can. If you're in here and you're a student, if a C is the best thing you can do, get straight C's. If that's the best you can do, get straight C's. But if you are an A or a B student and you're making C's, you need to work unto the Lord. You need to be compliant. You need to do the best you can do and get the best scores that you can get, okay? We are called to be merciful, Hey, listen to me for a second. This is very controversial. I was in here talking to a great woman that comes to this church, and we were talking about a very, very touchy issue, abortion. Talking about abortion. It's an issue that people get very heated over, right? The, the topic of abortion. Now, let me be clear. I'm adamantly against it. I'm adamantly against abortion, right? I'm against it. Let me tell you this, though. I have never been a 16-year-old girl without parents in her life who got pregnant unexpectedly and the guy split. And I've never been in a position to where I've had to make that choice. I've never been that scared. I've never been that confused. Do I disagree with abortion? I do. Am I empathetic for the 16-year-old girl who's confused and scared? Yes. I'm very empathetic to her. And so what we need to do as Christians is we need to be so careful about how we talk about people. We need to be very careful to have empathy, to understand, though I disagree with the decision you made, I can kind of see where you're coming from. I can't imagine what it's like to be that scared and to be that desperate and to be that alone. So instead of putting you down with my words, I'm gonna wrap my arms around you so you can feel the love of Jesus, right? And we're gonna walk you in the direction that he wants you to go in. We need to be so careful. Are we merciful? Are we merciful? Are we gracious with those around us? Do we show good deeds? I told the nine o'clock, all of you should buy someone a cup of coffee today, just for the heck of it, right? Coffee for everyone in Murfreesboro this Sunday, right? <laughs> what a glorious place it would be. <laughs> you, should, you should just go out and do something nice, today. For someone that you, you don't get any thank you for it, you don't get any benefit for it, right? Buy someone's cup of coffee in the drive-thru or get someone a burger who's in line and just say, hey, I'm going to get their lunch too, or just do something nice. Do a good deed. Do something just out of character for you. Be committed to people. Show love to people. Show caring to people. Just do something nice. And we are called not to show favoritism, and we're called not to be hypocrites. The number one reason why people don't go to church, and is it always fair to say this? No, it's not always fair, but this is what people say. The number one reason they don't come to church is they think we're a bunch of hypocrites. 
Are there hypocrites in this church? Yes, I've been one. Here's the thing about people. Wherever there's a high concentration of people, there's going to be a high concentration of sin. Do we make mistakes? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to work as Christians as hard as we can to not be hypocritical. If we say we're Christians, we need to live like Christians, right? If we say we love people, we need to love people. Here's your homework, right? You just had a test. Here's your homework. When you pray this week, pray for God to control your tongue. If you have a business meeting, if you have a, a, an issue, a conflict, if you have a tough conversation with an employee or whatever the case may be, pray that God gives you the words. Pray that God touches your heart and fills your, your, your mouth with his words, words that honor him, right? Pray for that this week. That's your homework. Your other piece of homework is this. Ask God to give you wisdom. Pray for God to give you wisdom. If you're a parent in here, pray for God to give you wisdom. If you're a student in here, if you're a young person in here, everyone, pray for wisdom. And God says, I will give it to you, and I will give it to you in abundance, God says. Pray for wisdom. Your homework, pray for God to touch your tongue and control your tongue. Pray for God to give you wisdom. That's your homework, okay? And then if you want understanding, read the book Read the Bible, right? So I expect all of you by next week to have this thing read, and we'll meet again. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, I love you so much. I thank you, God. I, I, I love this church with all of my heart, God. And if I love these people, Lord, I know that you love them in a way that we can't even understand. Father, today, for all of us in this room, I pray, God, that you help us control our tongue, control our speech, control how we talk to other people, God. Lord, everyone in this room, I pray, God, that you give us wisdom, that you help us have understanding through your word. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone in this room who is not a Christian, not a believer, I just pray that something today just got their attention and that, and that they felt comfortable and welcome and that they'll come back. That's all, I, that's all I ask, God. If there are people in here that need to be prayed for, I pray, Lord, that they come up to the front and let's, let the elders of the church and brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for them and lift them up. And Lord Jesus, if anyone wants to take communion today, represents your body and your blood, God. Represents the fact that you gave your only son so we could have the gifts of the Spirit. Not just salvation, God, but a better life now, God. Better relationships now. And Lord, that came only through the cross, through your blood that was shed. And God, if anyone decides to take communion today, I pray that they ask you to forgive them of their sins before they take that. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, God, and we lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys so much. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week.